0: I went to a house, uh, the young lady, 14 years old, reported to her school counselor that her father was coming in at night and molesting her. When mom and him would go to sleep, two o'clock in the morning, he would come in. So I went out to talk to the mother and when she answered the door, she was dressed in a child's outfit. And I thought, oh my goodness, what is going on? But the non-offending parent does not want to lose the security they have. And they will sacrifice their child for that security. And that is the most troubling statistic we have. Because the, re- the, the child will tell you, I told my mom when I was six. I told my mom when I was nine. I'm tired of telling my mom. And now that I'm 15, I can do something about it.
1: You're listening to the Refraining Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindall thompson
2: Hi, my name is Colleen Swindall thompson and it is my honor to introduce you to an incredible person. His name is Larry Daly. Larry, thank you for being with us today.
0: Well, thank you, Colleen.
2: You're very welcome. Before we begin, I do want to say we're going to cover a very uh, controversial and difficult topic, but because it's important not to run from those things, um, I want to share with you what we are going to talk about, and that is the abuse of children and domestic violence. And how we can deal with that as a family, as a community, and as a church. The reason I invite Larry is because his bio is longer than I can read. But he has—he is teaching criminal justice at Zenith College. He, in 2011, began preparing uh, webinars, which he has now over 100 of them. Thank you so much, Larry. Larry started One Daily Corporation, in which he is the CEO and founder and is involved heavily in the investigation of those who are in very difficult, painful places. Larry, you just recently wrote a book as well. In fact, you have several books. And this one that we are going to talk about today is Protect Your Kids Right. Is that correct?
0: That is correct.
2: But you can throw in whatever you want.
0: Okay. Well, um, yes, this book came out in October of 2014. is doing really well. Okay. I'm really excited about it because I'm getting positive feedback from parents. And that's what it's all about, teaching parents how to protect your kids' race.
2: Well, I came across some, st- some statistics, Larry, that were a little bit shocking to me, even though I keep my eye on them. There's a sexual assault report or a child assault report every 10 seconds. Is that correct?
0: That is correct.
2: And there's four children that die every single day from abuse in some way.
0: That is correct. In fact, the statistics increasing in numbers as we learn to identify the signs, quote, signs of abuse. So instead of four dying, we're probably looking at double or triple that.
2: That's just so sad, but that's ex- oh. that's exactly why we're talking about this today. I found another statistic on bullying, and bullying is a very hot topic because schools will provide incredible information about how they want to protect the students, and then, of course, when it's reported, the parent is usually the one who's cited as at fault, um, having been there myself a few times, but in 2009, 31% of students in grades 9 through 12 reported they had been physically in some kind of fight 12 months prior to that 11 percent they had been in a fight on the school property in the previous 12 months for disabled people 12 or older they there is an experience of 1.3 million non-fatal crimes in 2012
0: alone. I. Bullying is a foundation for what I call peer child abuse. And what's happening there are children are not protecting one another because the fear factor.
2: In fact, Larry, I just listened to a podcast this morning on that very thing. And it is a group that is online, used by social media. And she was saying, as a disabled person herself, that she had peers stand up for her. And because they were then bullied, the whole thing was tossed out. I had no idea that was happening.
0: Yes. Sad. It's really sad. It, especially with the dis- disabled children, they're the most sexually bullied human being in the world that are abused, assaulted, uh, neglected. It's it's the saddest statistic we have. That's the reason why child sexual abuse, in my viewpoint, is the number one mental health problem in the world, not just in the United States. It doesn't, we, we don't own child abuse. It's happening everywhere.
2: Well, that leads me into my first question because you started your book, which I loved, and I'm telling all the parents or those who know parents, which means just about everybody on earth, to get this book because we need to understand this issue and know how to report it correctly. But you call it the number one health issue in the world, and expound on that if you will.
0: Well, in dealing with child sexual abuse for the last 35 years— in different capacities. I've learned that uh, the number one reported mental health problem with children is either sexual, physical assaults or neglect. And the statistics uh, support this in that one out of every four females will be sexually abused before they're 18 or 16. One out of every six boys will be sexually assaulted before they're 16. Now, let me give you a little statistic. I work with men and women who have sexual addiction problems. And, you know, people uh, come down on them for their addiction. But let me tell you this statistic, and it's so sad. Seven out of every 10 sexual addicts that I have dealt with in 25 years were sexually assaulted before the age of 12 there's the causation for them acting out. And I had a young man who was with me for three years and the other night finally broke down and disclosed that he had been sexually assaulted at the age of nine. He had hid this from our group for three years. It's, this is where the problem lies. Children don't disclose sexually, being sexually assaulted. They just don't disclose. They don't come home and say, "Hey, mom, guess what happened to me today? Physical abuse and the stalking and the bullying." They don't come home and say that. You know, they just don't. They just don't. Uh, you know, say, "Hey, dad, guess what happened to me today? I had this problem and I had that problem," because children are not taught to communicate. We need to teach our children to communicate, and here's the key on that each day it's the parent's obligation, obligation now, to sit down with their child and ask them how their day went. And in that process, if they notice something a little different, you know, maybe the child is um, acting withdrawn, ask the right questions.
2: Okay, from that, I wanna ask you, you just said it's the parents' responsibility, which I would assume is to create a safe environment. Right. Tell me what that looks like for parents, like one, two, three, four. I mean, I know when Jonathan comes home from school, i if he's not looking in my eyes, I say, John, look me in the eyes. Tell me how math class was. Tell me how history was. How was P.E.? I mean, I get that specific because he needs that. Give our parents some instruction on what that looks like.
0: Well, I think you need to progress during the, throughout the day. Tell me how your day was. And just like you just said, Colleen, tell me about school. Uh, more specifically, who'd you hang out with during recess? Who'd you eat lunch with? Uh, were there any problems? Was, did you have fun? Yeah, I, I, I don't want parents grilling their children. I want parents communicating with their children, asking them the appropriate questions, and after a period of time, parents will become good at it. In fact, they'll become better than the professionals, because they do it so often.
2: Mm-hmm. Would you say one of the challenges to that is that parents are distracted?
0: Well, as you well know, we, w- we live in a society that demands double income, mm-hmm. our payments, our finances. Uh, so we spend a lot of time at work. We spend a lot of time trying to make ends meet. And then the forgotten child, uh, we know who they all are. The last key, uh, children, 11, 10 years old, coming home, being by themselves. That's so sad. And I, I mean, I remember when I was nine years old and my dad was working several jobs and I never saw him for days and I was nine. Mm
2: what do you say to the single parent who has to work until five and their child gets out at three? Uh, How do you resolve some of that?
0: I think one of the things that parents miss is, uh, you know, I, I've lived in my residence. uh, Well, the first one was 33 years. And now, I mean, 23 years and now 10 years, I know every one of my neighbors. I, I got to know them. Um, Uh, I, because I'm an investigator, I did backgrounds on all of them.
2: (laughs) They (laughs) didn't know that.
0: No, they didn't know that. Uh, I'm glad you're
2: not my neighbor, Larry. (laughs) No, uh, you wouldn't find much.
0: But the point is, is that I think if we create a neighborhood of support, uh, a foundation where we can trust our neighbors... Between the hours of 3 or 3.30 to 5, maybe our son or daughter can spend time with a friend in the neighborhood. Remember, though, check out the parents. You never know. You can go to um, the uh, web and find uh, national databases on people who are pedophiles. I mean, I, I have three living in the area where I live.
2: Isn't there a national site where they actually do send reports out if you say if you sign up for this? That they'll yes. send out reports. Okay. Well then we need to put that in our show notes if you don't know it by heart. Do you happen to I remember? don't know.
0: Okay. Uh, there are there are several. Just so you know, there's the local ones your sheriff has. Okay. And and that's the one I would go to because it's the most current and then the national one, but go to the local one, and, and your sheriff's department is the one that's gonna be responsible for tracking sexual offenders. So if I'm, if I'm a sex offender and I get out of prison, I have to report to that sheriff to um, document where I'm living, where I'm working, my phone numbers and all that stuff. So you can check it out.
2: Um, Larry, what's the percentage of people that will not report? because? Do they have someone following up on them to report? Or is it by option?
0: I just read a recent study last night. It's funny you asked that question about reporting. And we get about 30% of children reporting the abuse. So that means we have as a society to build a foundation on 70% more children. Can you imagine over a million reports are made reports are made and we estimate it to be three to five million. And so we have a responsibility as parents to make sure that the abuse is being reported. Now, one thing that's really happening, which I think is really positive, is kids are telling kids that they're being abused. The kid or the child is running home, telling mom, mom's picking up the phone, calling that parent and calling the police. That never used to happen because people would say, oh, that's none of my concern. That's none of my business. Well, people are caring. People are caring.
2: Well, that's huge right there is when they make what's called an outcry. Now, back to the single parent issue, you know, you have the availability to make background checks. And, of course, there are online, and I know several of them, places where you can go to make background checks. We assume that a pedophile or a sexual assault individual or an abuser of any kind appears to be kind of, you know, weird, reclusive. But in your book, you cover something interesting about even the physical appearance. What do we look for?
0: Well, you know, when I was a law enforcement officer, I arrested judges to Boeing engineers to laborers. A pedophile can be anyone. It can be your grandmother. It can, I, I, and grandmas, I love you, so don't take that wrong. <laughs> uh, it could be anyone. So your role as a parent is to identify the characteristics that uh, your child would become uncomfortable with. And children know because yeah. they won't sit by a person. They won't stand by a person. They won't talk to a person. That should be a trigger point. For you to understand that something's wrong, I call it in my book a diagnosis uh, or a pharmacy prescription or a criteria where you can identify about 40 areas, 40 areas now, of uh, what the prescription looks like. So I don't want to list them all, but some of them are just basically... Um, I don't look at the person. I look at how my child reacts around that person and then will later talk to my child. Well, mine are all growing up, but that's what I did with my children.
2: Okay, I've done that with mine as well and discovered some things. Let's say the child says, I don't like going over there, I'm not comfortable, and mom says, well, you know, he seems like a nice person or she seems like a nice person, which means the parent is, is disregarding what the child is saying what are a few other things i know you don't want to go through 40 but what are a few other things parents can listen for
0: i think that the um there's a word called grooming and i don't want to overemphasize Mm -hmm. this but i do it's kind of like you know a, a dichotomy of should i shouldn't i because then people get nervous but if you find an individual over the age i mean probably 15, let's say my child's nine, and you have a 15-year-old who they appear nervous about, and that 15-year-old says, hey, let's go to the store, I want to get some candy, let's go to the show, let's do this. When they start providing gifts, when they start providing promises, and and, and I don't want to segue this wrong, but 95% of the people that sexually assault your children, they know. They know who they are, they may be a relative, they may be a, a, a step uh, person, it could be anyone. So just be aware 95% of those people that your child will know will know will be the pedophile predator and so you have to be cognizant of who those people are.
2: Now, it's very interesting because we think of it as a stranger, you know, the drive-by offering the little kid candy on the way home from school. But in your book, you talk about that very statistic and how usually the person lives either in the home or within a four-mile radius of the home.
0: That's correct.
2: So, So, I did my reading, I did my research. A person that you know without appearing paranoid or how do parents balance that out
0: i think what you're looking for colleen in balancing things out is you need to know enough i, I mean if I, my book is a great book guys if you read the book you would know enough to have done your research mm-hmm. and you would be able to make your home a safe environment but let me tell you something In 1983, when I first became uh, a detective in the sexual assault unit for King County uh, Police, they had a program going called Stranger Danger.
2: Right. And
0: what they would do is they would have these programs at school to teach children to say, no, I don't want to go with you, a password, a secret. That's great. The problem was they circumvented the system because what they were trying to do is get into your home and try to say that your dad or mom was the stranger. In fact, mm. and I think I thought it was um, I thought it was wrong because what they should have come out and said was only six percent of children are molested by strangers. Six percent. Um, you find them in parks. Uh, you'll find them in bathrooms. Never let your child go to the bathroom by themselves because that's a great predatory location. Uh, the other night at a restaurant, I saw a four five-year-old child get up and go to the bathroom by themselves. I couldn't believe it. You know, I just, parents are too trusting. Oh, it would never happen. It does happen.
2: Well, that's interesting that you say that because we have a lot of mothers, such as myself, who have a son who I'm not going to walk into the men's bathroom, but um, I will indeed sometimes tilt the door open and say, Jonathan, are you doing okay in there? Is everything going fine? I won't look in there, but... I don't want to offend people, but I'm going to keep my son safe, period. So
0: I don't, I don't care if you offend. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'll be rude. I don't care <laughs> if I offend anybody because my child is the only one that's going to protect that child is me. And I better do a good job of it because if I fail, then we are going to go through a process where that child is going to have to rebuild from the trauma And boy, being abused is traumatic. Uh, You know, I I give an analogy to parents that it can be either a Band-Aid or it can be a surgical removal uh, of the pain. You know, when we fall down, we scrape our knee, put a Band-Aid. But sometimes we fall down and we can't get back up. Mm -hmm. And so these children need protection. They need for you to. They need to know that they can come to you at any time, Mm -hmm. and you will demonstrate love. You won't judge because God wants us to love him, and God wants us to love them.
2: Larry, you mentioned a word in your book called the passive parent, and you cited (laughs) a— You know where I'm going with this one.
0: Yes, I do. You
2: cited a statistic of 50% of children who have gone to a parent or the parent knows— Abuse is happening and they turn the face and they ignore it. First of all, I'm appalled by that. I can't imagine that. Can you speak to that issue?
0: I'd like to give examples because I think that it impacts the brain or the mind. But when I was a law enforcement officer, I went to a house, Um, the father, the the young lady, 14 years old, uh, reported to her school counselor that her father was coming in at night and molesting her when mom and him would go to sleep two o'clock in the morning, he would come in. So I went out to talk to the mother and when she answered the door, she was dressed in a child's outfit. And I thought, Oh my goodness, (laughs) what is going on? But the parent the non-offending parent does not want to lose the security they have. And they will sacrifice their child for that security. And that is the most troubling statistic we have. Because the re- the, the child will tell you, I told my mom when I was six, uh, six. I told my mom when I was nine, I'm tired of telling my mom. And now that I'm 15, I can do something about it.
2: I'm trying to sit with that for a minute because I don't think a five- and six-year-old makes things up like that. In fact, I don't think they're really aware of so much of what comes out when they are making an outcry. What about the single parent, or not the single parent, but the mother or father who hears their child say that? They are very dependent, such as with a disabled child. They're dependent upon one income. I know there are national agencies, there are shelters, there are places to go. Why don't more of them choose to do that?
0: Uh, it goes back to what I was saying, Colleen. They, parents do not, I mean, imagine if you had to go home today and move out, hmm. where, where would you go? I mean, imagine if you didn't have parents locally or you didn't have a relative locally, your only choice would be to go to the police, and then be protected into some shelter that you would share with other women and other children, stability-wise. And I'm not trying to please parents, don't become afraid because it all works out. The court will throw him out of the house. If the offender's living at home, eventually, maybe a week, maybe a couple of days, he'll be gone he will be incarcerated, you'll be able to go home. But for that short period of time, it's your responsibility to take care of things in an actionable way, which is positive. And I want to go back, Colleen, to what you say about six years old. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever run into a six-year-old that could sit down with me and talk about sex unless they had been abused. Now, I've interviewed over 7,500 children disabled. Uh, You wouldn't believe some of the disabilities I've dealt with I've written protocols on it and the point is is that no six up to nine should not have knowledge sexual we call it adult terminology of sex they just they shouldn't
2: well i think it comes down to a faith issue larry because i would go to a shelter i would i would leave if that was told to me in fact there was a close friend of mine who Um, She was actually somewhat, I was mentoring her a little bit, and after seven years, I was kind of probing, and as I probed, I sensed the closed body, the nonverbals, the looking down, looking away, and I didn't probe too hard, but I said, I'm wondering if there's more that you want to tell me about that, what happened there. Let's, Let's go ahead and go there, because I'm going to believe whatever you say. And she did disclose something that had happened for the first time and she's twenty-one.
0: Yes, very common, Colleen. Very common. In fact, there's survivor groups out there, folks, that you can turn to. But let me I, I, I wanna emphasize this for Colleen and her organization. People need to know that the church, not private people, but the church will support you in your plight to find a safe environment. Do not go, I, I I can't stress this enough, your church is where it is happening. Go to your pastor, go to a a, a woman, a, a mentor, somebody that you can go to and talk to because that's where God wants us to turn.
2: Okay, you give an illustration in the book, but before I give you, before I repeat that, if, if you're watching or listening and you just heard what Larry said, go to your church or you and you don't feel safe or you have and haven't listened, call me at this office at Insight for Living. And I will listen to you. And I will I will do what I can to help. Because there's nothing more important. This touches the soul more deeply than anything else. Now, you give an illustration in the book of a woman who did go to the pastor and said, I think there's something happening in the Sunday school class. And she ended up being led into a room where she started being questioned, and they looked at her as being more questionable, so to speak, than even looking at the pastor or the teacher. And nothing happened. What do you say to those families?
0: Don't quit trying. Uh, I know a man right now, and he's doing a great job. His name is David Pittman. David runs an organization. Um, I think he's in Florida, but you can find him on LinkedIn. Okay. He runs an organization where he was sexually assaulted by a pastor at a young age. He has devoted his life to following this pastor, and this is what pedophilia pastors do. They go from church to church to church to church, and they'll give phony references, et cetera. Now, I know that I kind of segued on you there, Colleen, but you have to, as a person working inside a church as well as outside a church, you need to turn to your pastor. And if you find no support, then the next step is the police. But I think you need to go to your pastor first and get direction. Most pastors, 99.9% or to call Colleen, will give you the right information. She knows more than I do probably about this subject. So
2: (laughs) call Colleen,
0: call your pastor, go to a mentor. I try to mentorship many people. I can't do them all, but I, I, I really try hard to get the family to reconstruct
2: and reorganize. Now, legally, Larry, give the church some support strategies. Let's say someone does come, expresses concern, their child has said something about something happening anywhere, a park, a school, at church, at a birthday party, at whatever. They go to their pastor. What is legally mandated for that person to do?
0: Uh, it's technical because if I went to my pastor uh, or priest depending on my religion and I told them that I had sexually assaulted a child depending on that state law, the pastor doesn't have to report. yeah, there's some there's some states it's going it's going to shock you but it's called the confessional um, uh, statement which under the law, is like talking to your attorney. If I go into my attorney and I tell my attorney I sexually assaulted my child, he doesn't have to report. However, if I go in and tell my attorney I'm going to kill somebody, he has to report. So we've de-minimized if that's a word, sexual abuse. So it's not reportable because it's not as important as murder. Well, when you sexually assault a child, you murder him. That's the way I look at it.
2: Then why would you say go to the pastor first? I would go to law enforcement first. I'd call CPS.
0: Because 99% of the pastors today are trained, educated, and understand to report. any re- Anything that happens inside a church, you go to the police, but that's, I don't find that very common, even though the Catholics had their problems.
2: Okay, so I dealt with a situation um with a family that i knew and the son was assaulted at school and i was told and it's my understanding that if you are told by either another parent or by the child who makes an outcry then that has to be reported is that correct
0: that is correct in fact the way it works is let's say i'm a teacher or a parent uh-huh. and i find out about this information i am required to go to my supervisor advise them. I just had this in a case where a young lady was in a health class they talking they were talking about uh, reproduction. She went up after class said, hey I don't think this is right. my dad's been touching me." The, the teacher took her, she's only 12 took her up to the principal. she disclosed the same thing to the principal the principal, by right, by law, had to report that to CPS and the law enforcement. Now, the teacher didn't because she made, she followed the law. And in most states, they had that requirement. And I wanna know, I want you to know this, if you don't do it, you can be charged with a crime.
2: That's what I thought, because I, as I told this family, um, call the school immediately, reporting to the headmaster, The headmaster then called me, said, what do I do now? I said, you call the police in which you are located because it's in the, wherever the crime happened, it's in the community of that crime. Go to that local police station and make a report. And they're gonna ask you some questions. And what ended up happening is the child who had been the abuser was required to leave school that day. They did it all right. It was, um, it was amazing. I couldn't believe it because I've been told of so many other things that it's not done right. Or, oh, don't worry about it. Or, oh, let's get Johnny in the same room with the bully. And let's ask who's getting bullied. And it's just, I'm not going to say more about
0: that. Well, let me tell you something. And this is really, really important for you to know. And I'm not being political here. But the president is pushing restorative justice. And restorative justice is simply that the criminal is allowed to sit in the room with the victim and tell the victim that they're sorry. And the victim has to go through this per the court. This is really something that is sad. It's happening in California. 278 teachers were sexually and physically assaulted. And under the Restorative Act, they, were, they had to go through a process where... They sat in the room with the person who assaulted them. That's that's just wrong. That's another time calling,
2: but that's what's. There's going no out. legal help for those people. They have. To, what do you do with the person who's disabled, who has no cognitive ability to process? First of all, what's happened? But secondly, having to see the person that has terrified them, if it is someone that they know, and 95% of the time it is that's really yes. assaulting
0: it's traumatic i mean can you imagine being in the room with someone who hurt you i i just uh, i i would fight it if it was my child i would fight it tooth and nail they'd have to put me in jail
2: larry tell me a little bit about the test for parents that you put in your book because i thought it was fabulous
0: I think that parents need to uh, test themselves, te- test each other. I have a list of questions. Right. I have a mm-hmm. list of um, scenarios that you can ask. Uh, and I'll tell you, you know, when I read them myself, I go, "Wow, do do I really know?" Uh, I, I call it the escape from a fire. Do I really know how to get out of the house when it's burning? Huh. And so these questions I propose. Um, such as what is sex abuse? I mean, a lot of parents don't know what it is. Uh, If I'm on an elevator with my child and some man uh, touches my child inappropriately, uh, acting like it's funny, um, you see this all the time. Like, don't be touching my child. I mean, nobody should be touching. So you need to go through my parental list and learn it. Please learn it for, and you know, the thing that's great is it's like cyclical. If you teach your child, that child's going to teach a friend and that friend's going to teach and it just goes and goes. It's a influence, which is positive and successful. That's what
2: I liked about it because it was positive. It does point parents in a positive direction. It's not, it's not fear-based. It's am I doing these things? am I protecting my child? And parents need to, and I will say this because I've had to do this myself, tell the stranger, I'm sorry, I think that was a little bit inappropriate. Will you please stop?
0: Yes. Yes. Immediately take action. Don't, don't sit there and observe and then go, Oh, I don't think that was right. Well, maybe next time.
2: Yeah. No, I I don't understand that. Now, um, what about nonverbals, Larry? Because that is more of communication than verbal. I know that, like I look in Jonathan's eyes and look and see that they're dilated, and there are fear responses that are nonverbal. Um, give us, give parents some help and some, and school teachers and and Sunday school teachers some help on what to look for. Not that they're going to look at, for this in every child, but some nonverbal cueing.
0: I think I've talked a lot about it, but let me tell you, I, I believe the Bible says the eyes are a direction to the soul. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that when we talk to people, you'll find people who can't look in the eye. Mm-hmm. But if your child's been looking at you in the eye for 10 years, and all of a sudden one day they come home and they can't look at you, that's that's nonverbal. Shaking, children cannot stop anxious behavior um, the OCD where they rub hands back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, forth. where well, they never did that before or twitching or anything that seems abnormal. Here's an interesting one, not bathing. They'll resist to take a bath. They'll resist to make themselves clean because they feel dirty.
2: Oh,
0: wow. That's just, I, this is a sad subject, and, you know, God bless everybody that has to deal with it because, I, you know, people say to me, were you sexually abused? And no, I wasn't, but God put me in line for this reason. I don't know, but I I work diligently because I love kids. I love people. Um, God loves people. We, he wants us to love them. I keep saying that, but we, we've got to take care of our children. It's a
2: sad subject only until the point... That we start taking action, and then it's a victorious subject, because oh, yeah. because when we do take action, then there is a sense of empowerment. Now, I want to ask you about law enforcement agencies because you did have a list that I that I copied down about where they are falling short. The list um, includes lack of protocols for investigating, lack of protocols for interviewing witnesses. Lack of proper intake procedures, and an intake is an interview that happens after the outcry has been made and that the family's been connected to with, with CPS or with the police. Lack of professional training. Last I heard, and this would be an old statistic, for an officer to go and finish training, he, he's required to only cover six hours of disability um, investigation or forensic investigation. Is that true?
0: That is true. In fact, on my notes here, let me read it to you. No standards worldwide. Everyone is doing their own thing. Now, imagine this. I believe that every law enforcement agency should have a written protocol on how to investigate a child's sexual abuse case. Now, <laughs> let me tell you something. I could write volumes on that, however, Airplane pilots don't read volumes, they read a book, they get training. Well, imagine me telling a police officer, "Here's the keys to that plane over there. Sorry, no man you fly it. It's going to it's going to be a destruction." And that's what happens across the United States. Everybody's doing their own thing. There's no national protocols. There's suggested protocols Many of them, people can't agree. What they do on the East Coast, they don't do on the West Coast. What they do in the Midwest, they don't do on the East Coast. It is sad. And I advocate every day for a national standard for children. There's none.
2: Now also in the forensic interview, which comes after the police start to pursue this sometimes, after uh, when they do have the child interviewed, How often is an interviewee trained to interview someone with a disability?
0: Boy, there's two interesting points I want to make on that. Number one, most training uh, comes from college, and that's not experience. So when a civilian, and this is what they're doing, they're moving to the civilian interviewer who has no evidence training, no police training no academy training no experience on evidence and they're having them interview children law enforcement is stepping back from it and allowing the civilian employees with two weeks training to interview a child now imagine having a disabled child now you know as a parent if you have a disabled child it's complicated i mean psychiatrists can't figure it out and you have somebody who went to a two-week training course, and they're going to interview your child. I'm and then and they won't it. let
2: the parent in, which is interesting because if the child was deaf, they would allow an interpreter. But if the child has mental incapacity, or if they have um, sensory integration issues, they don't give a rip about listening to the parent. And nor do they have someone who can help with the sensory integration process. What can we do as a society then if someone has gone to the pastor and the pastor goes to the police and the parent goes to the police and we end up with this roadblock, where do we go from there?
0: You as a parent are the guardian. You as the parent will make the decision. There's no law preventing you from staying with your child at all times. Here's the way it works. You come in for an interview. They don't want you to be a part of it. You're gone. Take your child leave. They have no authority to stop you. And here's the problem. I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. You don't you do not have to you do not have to uh sit outside and let someone who knows nothing about your disabled child interview him or her. That's just in a
2: forensic investigation with CPS you can walk out.
0: You can walk right on out because you're not under investigation. Someone else is. And if they if they want to take you to court, then you can go in front of the judge and tell the judge, your honor, my child is disabled. You'll be able to list everything and tell them. Now, I'm not an attorney, but and I don't want to act like I'm giving legal advice, but I have thousands of protocols thousands of protocols and they say this across the board, but there's no scientific evidence to, to prove that you cannot go with your child into an interview room.
2: I've never heard that before. And I've studied this like crazy. Larry, that is, that is priceless. Yes. What about, what about let's talk to churches now because people are going to feel more safe sometimes In a church setting and you see, you know, little Judy or Sammy or whatever in their class and they say, I don't want to go home. Daddy's touching me or, you know, if it's a step situation, equip the church, help us know what to do.
0: Recently, I helped the church write a protocol on how to report child sexual abuse. Now, it has to be in line with the state law. And the state law in the state of Washington is what we call the Revised Code of Washington 2644. And under that law, it specifically tells you what steps you have to take as a daycare provider or a caregiver, what steps you to take. So the first thing you wanna do is make sure that your church has a protocol. Second thing is that it follows state law and as a employee or volunteer, You follow that. Now, your pastor, let's say you're dealing with the child's pastor. Hmm. You need to communicate with that child's pastor and find out what they want you to do under those circumstances. So written protocol, oral training, um, oral communication, and then follow the process. And as long as you document it, you've done your job. Okay,
2: so where do we find the, the legal information for our state?
0: Oh, it's just, all you do is have to go in uh, under Texas, you would go Texas Child Reporting Law. That, that's how okay. simple it would be.
2: California Child Reporting Law, Montana Child Reporting Law, Washington Child Reporting Law. Just go there.
0: Just go there, and it'll get, it'll, Google's great. Yeah. Bing, they'll find it for
2: <laughs> okay. you. Okay, and then let's say they do make the report because the reports have become so astounding and so many more. Um. Is there follow-up? What if there isn't any follow-up?
0: Well, uh, it's kind of interesting, but the person that does report kind of gets lost in the shuffle. However, because they were the first person that received the disclosure, the police will come and take a statement from them.
2: Okay. And is it written or verbal?
0: I digitally record all interviews.
2: Can a parent record an interview?
0: I wouldn't do that. Really? I would leave. I would leave. Well, well, you're saying I have a child, uh-huh. right? No, I, I don't advocate parents being the investigator. Be the parent. Let the professionals do their job. If a child comes and says, Tom touched me in my privates, mm-hmm. you can say, mm-hmm. well, honey, tell me about it, and then stop.
2: Really?
0: Don't get into, and then what happened? And then what happened?
2: OK. And then
0: I know we're curious. Curiosity kills the cat. You know how we are. Okay, And
2: then they go either to the church. And I would like to say to parents, if your church Sunday school for child care workers does not do a background check and those are available online. If they do not do any kind of history or check, consider where you're going to church because
0: a background check
2: is essential. For security
0: it's golden yeah. Colleen we need to know everything about a person that we put a child into a room with any child with this person all oh, the statistics are staggering oh really oh yes they're, they're staggering we have too many people who have access to children who are pedophiles just to well we're just learning I mean we've only been doing this since 1970 I mean that sounds like a long time, but it's a life. It's not a lifetime yet. Well, when
2: I was preparing for the interview, I noticed, you know, there's a 2007 census that was taken or or a group of reporting. And then of course there's a lot of studies. But then it jumped to like 2012, and that was really about it. And there was not much yeah. information available, and I thought for every 6 out of 10 males and 4 out of 10 females, Think about that in one room why do we not have more reports
0: the reason why we don't it it comes down to funding i mean that's what it comes down to i mean if we if we had i i once in a while on tv i'll see an announcement report abuse but it's not consistent and agencies only have so much grant money there's only so much money to go around however folks That's the reason why you tithe. That's the reason why you go to church, because you need to go there to get help. That's just me.
2: So I need to have a little bit of hope because I'm hearing it's tough all the way around. And it's a subject that parents would like to turn their heads towards. But it's time to stop doing that, first of all. Um, Give me a little bit of hope for parents who hear their child, go to their pastor, would you say follow up a week later and ask the pastor, did you make this report? Did you follow up? Isn't the parent supposed to call CPS or they're also liable?
0: No, the parents aren't liable if they've done their reporting to the authorities. So, And the authority, I look at Pastor Swindoll as an authority of God. I would hope that I could report it to him. And I look at it this way also. If I report it to Pastor Jones, I'm going to call Pastor Jones tomorrow and say, did you make the report? Who did you make it to? And what's his or her phone number? Hmm. I'm not going to wait a week. I got to get moving.
1: Um,
2: I think that I would like to say, yes, my dad has dealt with this in the church. And he did make reports and we did follow through. And there's nothing in the Swindoll family that we turn our heads towards. So I, I don't...
0: I know that effect. Uh, I know that effect. I just
2: think, listen to your children. Listen to other people. They're not going to lie. Now, there are some false reporting. There are some parents who are so wicked enough as to t- train their children to think certain things. I can't imagine of that. But that's such a minor statistic. Go with your gut on that.
0: Can I tell you what the statistic on that is, Colleen? What? One, of reports, 1.3% are false. 1.3. Come on, folks. 1.3. 98.7 are accurate. 1.3 are false. Mary,
2: before we close, um, I also know that you wrote another book on healing for addicts. What was the name of that book? Because I think that would be fantastic.
0: Well, I wrote two of them. Battles of the Flesh was my first one which is an excellent book for sexual okay. addicts. And the second one is called spiritual healing. Mm-hmm. And, Oh, that's just, I, I just love that. I just love the way God puts the pen in my hand now computer and lets me write.
2: Mm-hmm. And it has a workbook with it. Isn't that right?
0: Well, yeah, the, there's, a, I think if you go to Amazon, I have like 300 300 items. You do have a lot.
2: I looked them all up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot. So, but, you know, I, I write every day. I feel that's my calling and I feel that, you know, I have a couple, hopefully decades left. And in that time, I'm going to protect as many children as possible. And I'm going to educate law enforcement and I'm going to educate parents. Parents do not get down because god is with us he'll protect us we may stumble but we can stand back up brush ourselves off because he's there
2: um larry as we close there are some people who have listened or who have watched whose parents did not do any reporting or they know something's going on and they've been turning their heads or their child has been assaulted and no one has listened and there, I don't think there are more devastating moments than when you find that out. Um, what words do you have for those who are hearing this and the ache in their heart is piercing?
0: It sounds terrible, but as a parent, you have a responsibility first to your child it's gonna be devastating to you. However, you have to take care. It's kind of like when you go on an airplane, the first thing they tell you when the oxygen mask comes down is to put yours on first and then put it on your child. But I kind of think it's backwards. You have to take care of yourself, but your child is in a state of anxiety and you can help calm them and then you can deal with you later. We have the age, the maturity, the experience. But hang in there. Just hang in there, please.
2: Well, I found a couple verses that I thought were really wonderful. And one is Psalm 27, 4 and 5. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, for all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple for he Our Lord will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent, and he will lift me high upon a rock. If you are looking for shelter, first reach out, please. Reach out. I'm sure something Larry has said has touched something in you. And God is our shelter. Sometimes it's so very, very dark. He doesn't feel like a shelter. But I promise you, in the end, you will find that He was a shelter in the time of such a horrific storm. The second thing I would say is, stop looking at the storm and look to Christ and the cross. Our Heavenly Father died. And God, His Father had to experience and watch those events but he died so he understands those who've been bullied those who have been so horribly treated so stop looking at the storm and start looking to christ and go to the shelter of his wings larry thank you oh
0: God, thank you i
2: can't encourage parents enough Um, Thank you so very much for providing information and help for an issue that is incredibly difficult. And parents, please, again, I can't emphasize enough, reach out. There's help and there's hope out there. So please take the time to do that.
0: Thank you, Colleen, for this opportunity. And parents, God bless. Go get them.
2: You can find the show notes and referenced resources in the podcast description or on our website, reframingministries.com. If you are impacted by today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you rated and reviewed the podcast, shared it on your social media, or share it with some friends who you think would be touched. You can email me personally at reframingministries@insight.org. at insight.org. If you'd like to be updated on reframing's activities and content, please feel free to subscribe on our website.
1: Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know in the comments on our website. Our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, we love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. Reframing Ministries and Insight for Living Ministries operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. You can partner with us and donate to Reframing Ministries through our website. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.